Well, hi, this is Gabe Hartfield, and I want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast. I get the privilege to work with a community of post-college young adults, and so that's why we call this podcast The Post. And every week, we get to send out a message into the world that provides practical steps to a mature faith, inspires hope, and helps make the invisible God visible. So here's what we talked about this week at The Post. there's just so many different proverbs and some of them can seem a little random but I actually think that while they they seem like different topics there can be themes in them one of them that stood out to me is Proverbs chapter 27 verse 7 there and it says this one who is full loathes honey or hates honey but to the hungry even what is bitter tastes sweet. Now, I'll explain that in just a minute, but I want to start us with a question real quick. If you could think right now, if there is something in your life that if God gave that to you, you feel like, like just instantly it would bring success in your life or in your work or in your friendships or different things like that, what is that one thing? If it happened, maybe it's an event or a thing bought or something happening with a friend or another person. Do you have that in your mind? What's that one thing that if you had it right now, it would be success? It would help you move forward. It's possible that whatever that thing is could be an idol. Something that is good, but it's turned into an ultimate thing. Now, when it says this, It says, the person who is full, they hate the honey. It's it's basically saying, like, to somebody who is just, they are stuffed, they've had a big meal, they can turn down chocolate cake, they can turn down dessert. But to somebody who's hungry, even bitter things taste sweet. You know, it's like they go home and they see their stale chips, but they're starving and that's all they can find in the house. They just munch them and realize they're, you know, a year past their due date. And all of a sudden you realize I just ate all this, but it was like the only thing in front of you. So you just woofed it down. Sometimes we have things like this, or maybe it's like, I don't know, you just, you were at the movie theater and you just thought, you know, maybe one more bucket of popcorn will do it. You know, um, maybe if I just have one more uh, of this, you know, it's kind of, and it's not always food. Sometimes these are like other things like, you know, it's so late. I'm just going to only do one more season on Netflix. Um, You know, I'm just going to watch one more season on this. And we binge this. Appetites, these things that seem so good, sometimes when they flare up, you will feel like you have to have it. And, And like some of the appetites, they're not just appetites for food, but these can be desires any type of things that it feels like you have to have it in the moment or you have to get this for success or feeling affirmation. There's a lot of different appetites. Appetites can be urges, desires, wants, things that you just feel like you are entitled to or need or want um, in that moment. Those are what I'm talking about when it talks about appetites. Now, there's a lot of different appetites. If you um, think about it, you can flip over your page there. There's appetites for food, there's appetites for sex, 
Um, there's appetites for progress. I might have a slide that has these two. Um, there's appetite to buy things, appetite um, for respect, um, for adventure, like somebody that feels like they always have to travel. They always have to be going somewhere. There's an appetite to win. Um, I just played Settlers of Catan recently, and I just saw this appetite come out in me. Like, I just wanted to dominate and get the longest road. Um, and then Dan over there uh, beat me to it. Um, but um, there's this appetite to be desired, an appetite for comfort, an appetite for acceptance, for fame, for recognition, an, a desire to be right, for attention. Now, here's some big, deep ones here. An appetite for control, for affirmation, for security, for love. Are our appetites bad? Are our desires bad? For the most part, our desires at their root are things that God gave us, like they're God-given desires. But when we try to meet those in ways that are not godly, all of a sudden, we make those things God or we try to sin in the process of getting them. Most of the time, sin is a God-given desire that we're trying to do outside of God and trying to get in our own way. Now, when I think of appetites, I mean, it's so interesting that the first temptation in the Old Testament, the whole Bible, was to eat an apple. The first temptation in the New Testament was what? For Jesus to eat or turn uh, rocks into bread. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this temptation to eat something. There's also an interesting story that I find very interesting, the story of Jacob and Esau. Does anybody remember the story of Jacob and Esau? So in the story of Jacob and Esau, you have these two brothers, okay? One's the older one, which is Esau. The younger brother is Jacob, okay? Esau is the hunter. He's kind of like the manly man, and he's just always out going hunting. Jacob is at home cooking. Now, I love cooking. I also love eating. So I'm kind of like, I love both of them. I also have five brothers, so I can relate to brother dynamics. So six brothers all together. Now, here's what happens is this. Esau is out hunting one day, and he has just been out for days, and he comes back, and as he gets back, he is just famished. He's so hungry. I don't know if you've ever had that, where you just feel like you could eat a horse. You could just eat anything. And you come, he comes back, and he walks into the tent, and as he walks into the tent, he sees that Jacob has made a bowl of stew. He's made a, a pot of stew. And he is so hungry. He says to, um, do we got this up there? Okay, good. It says, um, Esau comes in and he says, look, I am about to die, right? Okay, now, hold, hold on, hold on. Die? You're about to die? Didn't you just walk in here on your own strength? And you can't hold on for just a few more minutes. You think that you're about to die. And he's like, I want this food. I want this bowl of stew. Now, he's so hungry, and he's asking his younger brother for something. Now, anybody an older sibling in here? How many older siblings do we have? Okay, at, wow, actually a good amount of you. That kind of surprises me. How about younger siblings? Okay, there you all are. Um, so, I don't know if you've ever had this, but when I was growing up, most of the time, it was always the younger brothers who needed something from the older brother or the older sister, right? 
And I had this older brother, and he was just like ironclad. He never needed anything, okay? But every now and then, that, there was a time where my older brother needed something. He didn't make it, he didn't broadcast it, but he hinted that he needed something. And all of a sudden, when I, as the younger brother, realized that I had the power to do something about this, I slowed down and all of a sudden realized this is not just him needing something. This is a moment of major negotiation that I can take advantage and get something pretty significant from this, okay? And so you decide, you know what, I'm not just going to um, make this uh, just a small moment. I'm going to go for something big. So what's the biggest thing my brother has? What can I get from him in this? And then I just keep whittling down the list, you know, trying to figure out, okay, um, I'll settle for a high five. But, you know, you start big and you just go down the list to try and see what you can get. Well, Jacob, he recognizes that in this moment, this is a moment of major negotiation. And so he says, I'll give you this food if you give me your birthright. Now, Birthright might not mean anything to you, but back then, the birthright, being the firstborn, meant not only did you have the promise of all the future wealth, but you had the promise of future authority, and like your name would be represented for the rest of the time with this family. And he says in this moment that he is going to give up his birthright for it. He says, Ray, uh, go to that one about the, let's see, swear to me first. Um, okay, uh, go back one verse, 32. Um, it says, what good is my birthright to me? And then verse 33, it says this, but Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Now I saw Pastor Andy Stanley once talk about this passage, and he says, I wish I could just pause this moment step into here and say, Esau, I'm from the future, okay? And I have seen what happens hundreds of years after this. God appears to a man named Moses and says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you're the firstborn, Esau, I don't know what would happen if you change that, if you trade right here. This is not just a small moment of trade. This is something that will affect future generations and future things. Now unfreeze for that for a second. If you think about it, when you think about trading in the moment, and you think about Esau, I, like I was asking myself this, I was reading this passage, and I was like, who would trade? their birthright, who would trade their future for something as trite and small as a bowl of stew? Who would do that? And the answer is, you might. I might. And the answer is, many of you have done this. Some of you are in moments where you're feeling like there's a pressure to trade something. When an appetite flares up, I'm telling you, sometimes they get so intense that you feel like you're like Esau. You feel like you're going to die. You feel like if you don't have this, I can't go on without this, without this person. I can't go out on without this thing. 
And you know, sometimes it could be somebody who maybe they really want to date somebody or they really want to be you know, like, yeah, in this relationship or they want to be in this friend group and included, or maybe they really want this thing at work or this job or this thing. And they feel like, you know what? I've prayed year after year after year and nothing's happened. And eventually, when you pray year after year, sometimes you can go to some really dark places and think, you know what? If I've prayed and I haven't got this appetite fulfilled, maybe there is no God. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's actually that there is God, but he's just not good. Because how dare he hear me? How could he hear me? cry out for this year after year and not do anything and still have the audacity to call himself good. Or maybe it's, you know what? If he's not going to do anything, I'm going to do it. I'm going to become God. Or I make that thing God. When our appetites flare up, sometimes we have this in us to grasp and hold on and to try and hold so tight that if we don't get that thing, we put everybody else, hold them hostage and say, you're not good, God's not good, you can't be good if you don't give me this thing. And the reality is, when temptation comes, we can think that God is not good, but James says to remind yourself in those moments of temptation that every good gift comes from God. In that verse Jen read earlier, that God is our portion. It's so hard in those moments to remind yourself, but God is the source of satisfaction for all of your desires. That's really hard to think about sometimes when you're in the moment and to remind yourself of the goodness of God and that he said in 1 Corinthians that no temptation has overtaken man. And anytime there is a temptation, anytime there's a temptation, he has provided a way out. That when Jesus was tempted, he said, man should not live on bread alone. Man should not live by those appetites alone, but by every word that God speaks. Now you might say, well, okay, how can you say that God is actually the source of all my appetites and that he can fulfill them? Because like when Adam was here, when Adam was alive, God said, it's not good that he should be alone. And so he brought him somebody and he was with God. So if he was with God, shouldn't he have been satisfied with everything? God knows that you have needs and desires. And it's not saying that he won't bring those things or those things aren't good and that you can't have those things. But it is saying, are you willing to surrender and to yield all your desires and bring them at the foot of the cross and say, you know what? I am not going to play God. I am not going to disown you or distrust you. I'm going to refuse to do that. And I'm going to believe that you're a good God, that you both exist and that you are good. And I'm going to trust you to satisfy these desires in your time, not my time frame, and to yield those. Because when we try to fill them on our own or try and put the burden of filling them on somebody else, man, it creates a vacuum and there's no way that a person or a thing or an event can fill that void. We think that... <laughs> The lie is that um, our appetites will be fully and finally satisfied. You know, you think, if I eat this, I will never have to, uh, I don't know if anybody thinks I'll never have to eat again, but you'll think it's the best meal. 
and then three hours later, you're eating Doritos because you just want more food. You know, or you think if you post this thing and you get enough likes that I am now satisfied my craving for affirmation forever. Or if I have this friendship or this person, then that will satisfy it forever. But this same chapter we just read, somebody read it, uh, verse 20. It says this, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of men. Your eyes, your heart will never be satisfied by the things that this world can provide. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in Jesus. Well, we want to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it inspires you through the rest of the week. If you're listening on Spotify or on another device, we want to just invite you to click follow and join us for more podcasts in the future. Have a great week.